Yo, it, like I, we we like to act like we're we're so much more mature than we are, but I <laughs> but I fall for the marketing every time, dog. Like there's oh, yeah. this. Uh, I was just at Whole Foods and they got this. Uh, they got this bottled uh, water called Blue Magic. Ooh. And I don't see just Ooh. the name itself makes you want to buy it. Right? Why is it magic though? I don't, there's nothing in there. It's but just, it's is it blue? It's blue, and that's it. And it's I don't know why it's blue. Ain't no blueberries <laughs> in there. Ain't no uh, I don't know what else is blue. Egg, eggplant, whatever is in there. <laughs> but there's nothing in there to justify it being called blue magic. There's not a rabbit that gets pulled out the bottle. <laughs> nothing. Um, but yeah, so when I saw those dude wipes in your bag, I was like, ah, oh, this dude just fell for the, he fell for the hype. I'm, I'm not gonna lie though. Now that I tried dude wipes, I ain't going back. You ain't going back. I ain't going back. All those other baby wipes, I don't know. It, it don't work the same like dude wipes. It don't work the same. How so? Like what? What? What's the? <laughs> I, I hate to ask what the difference is. I feel like the consistency is le- less of a, a stick, sticky piece of wet paper and yeah. more of with dude wipes it's more of like a like a light sheet and it's also good for the environment because it's biodegradable you put it down the uh the toilet see, and that, you're not gonna kill a dolphin th- or see nothing. you know what that's how you win every argument right you just like hey it's good for the environment you know exactly what I'm you, 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 you know wipe what I mean? out a million people if you go <laughs> listen i'm doing this for environmental for the reasons. animals right 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 you're trying to save the trees right uh bradley what's your last name so it's Brazil, but professionally I'm going by Bedford. Okay, Brazil is, and then is is you say you're from Haiti, right? Yes, sir. First generation. First generation American. Right. Wow, and then you got siblings. Yeah. I got one. I got one older sister. An uh, older sister, four years older. How old? Uh, one year old. Year wow, and a half. so you guys are close then. Yeah. Now, how? Now you're in acting. You're mm-hmm. in film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a new movie coming out, yes, uh, Last Call. It's a yes. short film, right? Yes. Then you have one you're trying to push out, right? Yes. How does your family, when I think of a Haitian mm. family, and you say you want to go into the arts, how supportive are they? All right. So this is actually, this is a real good question because I think about this sometimes. Um, when I, and I'll tell you a little bit about how I got started into acting. All right. I started acting just to try it when I was in high school because they had acting electives. And when I did it, I fell in love with it, mm-hmm. got into school theater, um, and then I decided this is what I want to do. When I was in high school, I didn't really try too hard in class. Uh, so I thought I wasn't going to go to college and I was just going to pursue acting full time. And I said, I'll just get a job in McDonald's. To support it. And then I realized that acting is expensive, so it didn't work out like that. But um, my mom, when I was talking about potential college majors, one of them that I said, I was like, I'm going to get something that I can go to any state and work with and pursue acting at the same time. So I said, I'm going to do photography. And my mom said, if you don't get the hell out of here with this photography nonsense. Photographers don't make money. Everything they do is commission. It's really seasonal. Um, You're not going to school for that. She was so unsupportive. And when I went to college, I ended up majoring in marketing. Then I graduated college and then started on this whole journey on acting. And surprisingly now, my mom and my family are one of my biggest supporters. Um, Every time I talk to her, she's like, so when are you going to be in the movies? 
did you meet Eddie Murphy yet? And she doesn't understand the tears of it all. You know what I mean? So I'm just like, yeah, ma, I'll look out for you, though. I'll look out for Eddie Murphy. She, she doesn't understand the amount of time that has the 10,000 hours you got to put right, in. Right, right. You got you to put in 100,000 before you meet right. Eddie Murphy. Uh, what was the turnaround? Um. Well, what my mom tells me is that Hollywood would like me because I'm tall and I'm goofy. And I was like, thanks, Ma. That's so so nice of you. I'm tall and I'm goofy. But uh, but I think, one, there's a, there's a little bit of um, a detachment level with uh, immigrant parents. And, and I think most people even um, with what the industry is like and how you actually come up in the entertainment world. And so I don't know they think of how grueling it is, how hard it is, how competitive it is. So I, I don't feel like she knows just how much of a risk this is for me to pursue. Um, I think she thinks it's something that if you go after and you want it really bad and people like you, it happens. And so I think that level of security with her um, makes her feel okay supporting me in this, uh, in this endeavor. When you say uh, the amount of risk, what are you what are you talking about? Because I feel like mm-hmm. you, uh, there's you're talking about more than one thing when you mm-hmm. when you say that. I feel like that's a, a layered uh, statement. Yeah. So one thing is the perception, right? When you're young and you tell people you're going for a career in the arts, they immediately think you got your head in the clouds. You know, you're just dreaming out loud. Uh, so that's one risk is that you're putting yourself out there to do this thing. And if you don't end up being extremely successful, everyone's looking at you like, see, I told you. The other risk uh, and the bigger burden for most actors here and everywhere else is the financial risk um, and, the, and the risk of time, which is two things you can't get back. Uh, like you said, it takes years and years and, and thousands of hours before you really get a role on, uh, typically in this field. So me being, I'm 28 years old now, uh, me pursuing this, I've made the decision to commit my adult life to this. There's no, all right, I tried it. I don't really want to do it anymore. I'll find something else. No, this is what I like. This is what I'm about. And this is what I'm dedicating my hours to. All my spare money goes to this. So I'm not going to turn back around and, and, and cha- I can't. I can't. There's no way. And if I did, I'd be in a hole. I'd be a 30-some-odd-year-old man trying to start my life off like I'm 21 again. You, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where you realize you do just have to be like, there is no plan B. Right. Right? Like, uh, like we, we do it. I'm tight rope walking between the, the, the two uh, World Trade Centers. You right. know what I'm saying? Once you take that first step, we out here. I'm not. Right. You can't turn back. It's, it's more dangerous to, to, to go, go back, back. Yep. than it is to just keep going forward, right? That's a great analogy. And, I'm gonna use that one. And when you say, um, you know, uh, it's a financial burden, you know, I think that's one of the things that stops a lot of people from pursuing their dreams, um, or uh, you know, takes them down a path of uh, depression or whatever. Is feeling like they're a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, how how have you are you supporting yourself 100%? Yes. Okay. Um and then what when you say financial burden mm-hmm. what what does that mean? Is that mm-hmm. are you are you uh you, you like using your credit cards a lot? Like what's going no. on? Um 
So I'm fortunate enough where I have a full-time job where I, I work from home. I don't know if you saw on my monitor and everything set up there. Um, so my income at my job is enough to help me live, you know, right. and, and have money to pursue acting outside of it. Um, here in L.A., it's the same thing, except they help me out a little bit because of the, the um, difference in cost of living being out here. Oh, right. Um, so I get that. Now, the responsible adult that most people would think about when they think about someone with, with you know, uh, a full-time job, with a salary and, and benefits and so on, the responsible adult would take that money and pay off their student loans or they would invest it in their, put it in a savings account, you know, right, right. Um, or invest it in stuff that they know they need for the future. I can't do that because all my money outside of, the ridiculous rent that I pay uh, and and my living expenses goes back into training. It goes back into expenses for these projects that I do. Yeah, I was just talking to somebody last night, uh, some other comics. Um, I was at the Comedy Magic, and we were talking about how you can't spend your life uh, chasing your credit cards. Like, you know, people have credit card debt, and, and they spend so much time just trying to pay off the credit cards. And I think what happens is you lose sight of uh, ways of trying to generate money. Mm. That's a different mindset, right? Yeah. There's one mindset of how do I pay off my credit cards? Because then you become very practical. You even start to think smaller because you're like, oh, I only need, you know, 300 a month. And you just start thinking in terms of what can bring me in $300 or how can I sure. use coupons, blah, 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 versus, you know, I need to... How do I generate passive income? How do I accumulate wealth? How do I build that? Hmm. Like that's a different mindset, and that might cause you to go into your credit cards a little bit. And I'm not advocating one or the other. I mean, there's uh, there's a, a great argument for either side of yeah. you know taking the practical, responsible route, or um, you know taking the risk of. Uh, I'm leveraging everything. Everything that I bring in mm-hmm. is going right back into the business, is which is which is what you hear when you listen to most entrepreneurs. That's what they do. They take what they make, and it goes right back into the business to help grow it and flourish it, and some of them crash and burn, uh, and then most people end up taking off. But you have a day job, so that, that yeah. kind of helps you sleep at night, right? Oh, it does. It does. Um, and I'm fortunate enough where uh, my day job isn't really – it doesn't put me in a position where it's tough to go out and do what I need to do um, because I've put in a lot of time with the company, so I, I have a lot of respect with the company. And right. and so if I needed to you know, go out on an audition in the middle of the day, I can do that without having to answer to somebody. Um, but with that said, because my day job is not in, uh, in the field of, of, of entertainment or acting, that's another risk that I'm taking because I can't go back and find another day job that – you know, is more in line with what I'm passionate about because I've spent so much time doing this kind of work, it would be hard for me to go out there and get and get something else um, that's not in the same, same field of work. How do you, um, what has happened in your life that's allowed you to build up uh, a risk tolerance? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, whew, it's going to get, it's going to get kind of weird uh, or I guess real, I should say. Uh, when I was in college, uh, my senior year, I 
pledged a business fraternity and that I to give you background, I was a straight A and B student. I had like a three eight GPA and it was my senior year and I wanted to graduate with cum laude and all that. Um, but I pledged a business fraternity at the same time uh, while working two or three jobs. I don't remember how many I had at that time in college because I worked all through all my college years. And long story short, I got let go at one of my jobs, um, laid off at the other one, and I was down to one of three jobs plus the stress of putting on in all my hours and my pledge work um, and being a full-time student. And that was the roughest semester I'd ever had. And because one of those jobs was at the apartment that I lived at at the time, um, immediately as soon as I was let go, there were rent was still due, you know, two weeks from then. Uh, and my pay there was compensated rent. So I got behind on my rent. After a couple of months of back paying, I guess, uh, I ended up getting eviction threats. And then I was like, all right, I got to leave. And then I ended up staying on a friend's couch, on a friend's futon for maybe six, seven, eight months uh, before I could get back up uh, on my feet and, and you know, uh, live a normal <laughs> life for a college student again. And that was a really tough time for me because that was the first time in life I had ever experienced uh, the repercussions of um, a financial burden and things that you do to get you in that position. So ever since then, my, my ultimate fear has been being back in that position, being back in that vulnerable spot where you can't do anything and you're just kind of um, stuck. Now, but how do you, you know, I guess what happened, something, I feel like something had to happen before mm -hmm. that. Um, meaning um, when I, you know, the way your, your parents raised you, like did they raise you to save? Did they, mm -hmm. did your father push you in a pull? <laughs> you know, um, and I mean, I ask that because like when you when you read about like Richard Branson is his parents yeah. uh, would drop him off in the middle of a forest and uh, uh, tell him to find his way back home. You know what I mean? Damn. And so like doing that a couple of times, uh, it built up his uh, sense of independence and, and autonomy. Okay. And you seem like a person who's like very focused and. Um, and like you feel confident in your abilities to build on what you have. And so I, I guess like going back even further before that, yeah. before sleeping on a couch, before working two or three. So when you say you worked two or three jobs, did you pay off college as you were going along? Or I didn't have like all my rent and everything like that. My living expenses yeah. were taken care of. The only thing I was taking loans out for was my last two semesters tuition. Oh, wow. And so were you an academic scholarship or what? Uh, I had scholarships and grants. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and then did you play sports? I didn't. Not, and, and not even before, uh, not even be in high school no. or in middle school or anything like that? The, now, what was the business uh, fraternity that you were a part of? Yeah, Alpha Kappa Psi. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, uh, it's a great organization. Um, they teach you a lot about networking. They teach you about uh, just professional demeanor, um, prepare you for the real world and trying to get a job, um, resume building. Um, I love that organization. That's one of my best friends to this day. 
of people I met through that fraternity. Now, so was, was there a hazing process? Is it like all the <laughs> other fraternities? Or were, there, were there beat downs and uh, standing? I mean, I won't say that, uh, but what I will say is it was very difficult to get in. It was very, you have to put in a lot of time. Um, and if anything, it was, um, it was challenging uh, psychologically and mentally to get through that because th what you had to do to get in was more than a human. There, were, there was only 24 hours in a day, and it seems like some days you were putting in 48 hours of work, and it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense because you're... Now I have I have some friends who pledge fraternities mm -hmm. and uh, they're brothers for life. They you can't mm -hmm. separate their, them and the, from their pledge brothers. Um, and I, I started to join a fraternity and I, and I was like, this I don't I don't care enough about people. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't care what we go through or what our pledge is. I'm I'm still not picking up from the airport. Um, but <laughs> what were what are the because I, I think like. A lot of times fraternities get such a bad rap. Like you yeah. hear about the the hazing and the drinking and the blah blah blah. What were some of the values or lessons that, that they instilled in you that you that you are like, oh yeah, like this is like because it's beyond just the business, right? right. There's you right. had to actually you know buy into their mission right. and value statement. What were what were those or what are those? So I would say that. Uh, a lot of this stuff that they taught me, um, you know, we have we have our, our you know, main um, values, so integrity, um, unity, things like that. Um, what they taught me were things that make me, it's going to sound so, so Miss America of me, but make me kind of a better person walking through life. And it's responsibility, I think, ultimately. It's self-responsibility. It's taking ownership of what you do and what you don't do, where that leads you and where that doesn't lead you, and also just not being the type of person um, to sit around and be a wallflower on certain things. There's certain things you need to um, you need to hold yourself accountable to. Take action. and, and mm -hmm. Right, right, right. It's like no matter what goes wrong, like you, you accept responsibility first for everything that's happening right. in your life and then move from there. Um, now you graduated. You said cum laude. No, I wanted to graduate right, cum laude right, until right. that semester. Yeah, and that uh, didn't happen. That didn't. <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sleep, sleeping on a you sleeping on a couch or the floor. What was it? Oh, a futon. A futon. Yeah, man. That when you it was when hard on my back. Yeah, yeah when your like, back hurt, man. You a chiropractor. Hard to focus. Yeah. <laughs> You go from a futon and those 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 chairs in the classroom ain't comfortable either. No, they ain't. Uh, I've thought about going back to get my PhD, and all I could, my only hang up is sitting in those chairs. I'm like, them none of them classroom chairs are comfortable, <laughs> and I got sciatica, so I'm like, I don't know how how much I want that PhD. Could you bring a butt pillow? I could they, bring they up, but I, bring I, I can't be walking around with a butt pillow in class. Just you know put it in saying? your butt bag. It's, just, it's square. People uh, won't notice. Oh, true that. People won't know. I'm sure, I bet you there's a backpack butt pillow. Like, oh, it, it just doubles You just ass. convert it into uh, a butt yeah. pillow. Oh, man. It's like you hey. take your books out and turn it inside out, and then you just sit on it. Shark Tank Dope. idea right there. Butt Dope. pillow backpack right there. <laughs> you heard it here first. Folks. It'll be called Sit Your Ad Down. <laughs> um. Let me ask you, have you been to now in, you know, being a college student, I mean, yeah. you're out of college now. Um, a, a, a lot of students now are uh, going into therapy and, uh, you know, struggling with mental health issues. Did you struggle with any of that? 
growing up? Um, health issues? Yeah, uh, mental health issues. Oh, mental health or, issues. Um, um, I mean, I have a lot of... I don't think I had the ideal childhood at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not stuff I want to talk about too in-depth, but... Um, I, again, being a, a Haitian American kid, first generation, like we're kind of raised different, you know, uh, even coming into the film industry and meeting connections and people saying things like, oh, you know, have you ever seen this movie? And it'll be an American classic. It's like you weren't watching that at home. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't go to the movies until I was like in middle school and my cousin took me. Um, they were really strict parents from the household, kids. Uh, don't get much of a say in things. And um, and I also grew up in Brooklyn, and back then Brooklyn wasn't giant ice cream cones and bicycles with bells on them, you know what I mean? So, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. No, no artisanal uh, coffee shops. Right, no, none of that, none of that. Uh, you, got a, you got a Rite Aid and you got a corner store that has a cat sitting on the sandwich maker, but you still order the hero, but nobody understands, understands how those stores run. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it was a whole different environment. It was a tough environment to grow up in. You know, at home was hard. At school was hard. Uh, it, I didn't have that that kind of you know. Let's reflect back on childhood and how we used to play in the yard type of type of deal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, bullying growing up. Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. Oh, absolutely. I was a short, fat, uh, little Haitian kid who wore hand-me-down clothes. So, you know, definitely bullying in school. You know, kids want to be cool. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Now you're tall, skinny, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> still Haitian. Still Haitian. Still, <laughs> still Haitian. Still mad Haitian. <laughs> you're an adult now. Um, so, you know, they, they say that once you're a fat kid, you're always a fat kid. Is there is there a part of you that feels uh, like I, I could put this weight on any day now, or are you or is it you beyond that mindset mm-hmm. of because you know I, I'll weigh two seventy I used to weigh two seventy five mm-hmm. and it, even when I lose the weight I'm like God like there's a there's a sense of I could put that weight back on like, but that's it, good that's good that you have that sense why is know? that because that's what keeps you on track. Mm. Mm. I think anybody can fall back into it. And I, I'd like to think that I'm above it and be like, I got like a, a Whole Foods bag on my kitchen counter. Yeah, yeah, like you got to see some apples. Apple, you got some produce mean? floating around. Like, I got whole wheat bread on my... Like, I eat healthy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to think that I'm above it and that, I, oh, no, I would never eat X, Y, and Z. Uh, but all it takes is for that one day for you to, to cave. And it doesn't mean necessarily that you cave because you're having a craving. It could be you cave because it's real late and you haven't eaten yet and the only thing open is a McDonald's. Or um, it could be, you know, oh, this fried chicken's on sale and I love this fried chicken from this place. I don't eat like this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat it today. And once you do that, then you get your body readjusted back to eating unhealthy foods. Um, if you stop going to the gym, you get your body readjusted to not going to the gym. And all it takes is a domino effect from there. It's harder to to stay on once you fall off. So how did you get how did you get on track? How did you go from being a fat kid to yeah. now skinny? Did you? It was phases. I growth phases. spurt. Growth spurt okay. was number one okay. in high school. Okay, uh, that helped. And when my mom moved us to Florida, um, we didn't have cars in Florida. You need a car. 
So I couldn't have that easy access to fast food and to junk food like I did in New York where I walked everywhere uh, or took a bus. That, that, that's true, man. Like, you could get in a good 20,000, 30,000 steps a day in New York, mm-hmm. but you also get in a lot of donuts and uh, uh, yep. them Jewish bakeries. Yeah, oh. with, the, with the bagels and oh, stuff. Oh, come on, son. <laughs> the pizza the joints. pizzas everywhere. <laughs> It's like, why am I even walking? It's like, I'm better off just staying home on the couch. It's safer there. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad they didn't come out with Uber Eats and stuff like that <laughs> until after. I, but then again, I ain't, I ain't have money to get no Uber Eats, so never mind. <laughs> but yeah, just uh, that helped. And then that was, that was probably phase one. I got skinny. I wasn't necessarily in shape, and I definitely wasn't eating right. Um, and that carried on through after college. Then I started my job here, and it was my first time making decent money. And um, at the time, I was living in Boston. And for the first couple months of training, we um, we didn't have to pay rent. We were in corporate housing. So I was eating out, like, every day, like, all the Chinese, uh, Mexican, whatever, because I could afford it. Uh, and I gained a lot of weight doing mm, that. Right. And it took me... Probably like a year of noticing the changes and being like, oh, oh, Bradley, oh, this ain't, this ain't fitting you, right? You, oh. And then you go home and then you got the one aunt who'd be like, Bradley, you, you gaining weight, you know? Uh, There's always the aunt that they just don't give, a, <laughs> she don't give a damn about your feelings. <laughs> and I got a few of them. Oh. <laughs> They they big too, but they don't they don't right. they, 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 <laughs> always they, they always. never at the gym. They ain't, <laughs> they ain't got no produce on the table, nothing. But they're but they, looking at you like, yeah. yo, oh, you gonna you gonna finish that, huh? Yeah, <laughs> that was more like a eat some now, eat some later meal. But right, I see you right. finishing yeah, that yeah. right You're now. You supposed to take that to go. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, now I I know earlier you were saying how you know there are things from your past that uh, you don't want to talk about, and I respect that, and yeah. I get that. And, but I also wonder if, uh, how have you found a way of uh, expressing it? Is that, are you, are you finding that, that you're able to um, uh, work through those, the, your past, through yeah. your, through the movies and through the acting? Or are you journaling? Like, what's your... Um, I don't know at what point, maybe it was reaching adulthood, what point I kind of got over it. Okay. I didn't care about it anymore um, in so many words, even though I know it doesn't psychologically work like that. Uh, but when I was in high school for the first time, I started making friends with people who were genuine and who I felt like, you know, I didn't have to watch my back around. Um, and it showed because when I would meet somebody, you know, they'd be like, what up, Brad? And I'd be like, just throw up a, a middle finger real quick. Um and that was just my way of greeting people. It wasn't because I made anything by it. And then they would call me out and be like, why would you do that? <laughs> I was just saying, what up? Uh, and so I feel like that's when I first started making you know, connections to people and, and actually started liking people. Um, then I went to college. Same thing carried on. Um, and through finding meaningful, meaningful connections with people and, and building strong bonds with people, I just started being more of a people's person. And so I didn't really care to linger on, you know, people from my past who were negative uh, because in the moment my life was positive. Now, as far as acting goes, it helps because I understand what certain things feel like. 
um, so I can implement that and I can use that to, to inform me about decisions I'm making as a character. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it. It's just now I'm an adult and you know, I'm, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm going to use a cheesy hashtag. Too, right? too blessed, blessed to be stressed. stressed. You know, it, uh, it is powerful what you said. Uh, a couple things. One is uh, because of what you've been through as a kid mm-hmm. and the bullying and I imagine feeling like an outsider. You're a Haitian, you know, you have the Haitian background. So you talk differently than <laughs> the kids, you know, and, and then to be a fat kid and um, uh, to be going through those things and, uh, you know, whatever was going on at home, um, to then be able to find meaningful connections. So I'd imagine it's hard to trust people because you can't trust the kids of your peer groups. Right. And then uh, on a certain level, you can't even trust adults because of, you know, whatever was taking place at home. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get to, to high school um, and then you're like, oh, okay. Not er- people, you know, people are, hey, I don't have to watch my back the way I used to. So that had to feel like a sense of, uh, of relief. Um, so do you have, you have a lot of friends now? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is fortunate and unfortunate. How so? Because I feel this obligation, because I really do love and care about my friends. Yeah. But I feel this obligation, especially because I move a lot. Whenever I move, it's hard to keep up with people as much as I want to. And the more of them that there are, the less I can do that. Most of them understand it and, you know, and it's whatever. And we'll talk once every couple months and they'll, it'll be like we talked yesterday, you know. Um, but it's hard because I want to give them more attention, but I can't really. Yeah, I have a friend, she, uh, like, anytime she has downtime, she'll just go through her contacts and uh, text or call people that she hasn't talked to in a while. So yes. she just she just keeps, you know, going down her list of, so, you know, where, but she has a million people in her phone, so, it, you know, it's all about cycles with her. It's like, <laughs> you know, every every three years, you, you might get a phone call, but the cycles keep getting bigger because she keeps adding more contacts, right. so... You know, it's like she calls you in three Dang. years and it's going to be five years the next time. And, you know, et cetera, but she et calls and that's what matters. Yeah, she absolutely. Calls. That, you know, it's and and uh, if you have enough friends calling you at different times, then, you know, you're not just waiting for that one True. phone call, you know. But you're right. It's like if you have too many friends, it could you could feel overextended because it's like every weekend is like a birthday or a wedding or uh and people get mad if you don't show up. <laughs> yeah. Right? They're like, yo, how could you not? And I'm like, yo, what is expensive? Yeah, and I'm not just talking about for the bride and groom, bro. That <laughs> when I get wedding advice, I immediately start putting stuff in my savings account. Like, bro, like, <laughs> I gotta buy a flight. I'm going to a wedding uh next week, even. Oh, yeah. uh, back in Florida. Yeah. And I'm over here like, so a hotel you talking about? A hotel? <laughs> oh, and they'll be like, oh, it's discounted. You good. It's, it's got a discount. And I'm like, what is it, like 80% off? Because this, yeah. this, this flight alone is killing me. So, yeah, it's, it's rough out here. Everybody getting married. Everybody yeah. having babies at the Everybody, same time. I just went to a baby shower <sighs> yesterday, man. And, uh, and, and you know, they, they of course, they got the registry, online registry. Oh, yeah. You can buy stuff. And, you know, the first couple items are like $10, 20 and, and it's looking good. It's down. looking good. You're like, all right, you're yeah, looking this. nice. And all of a sudden, I'm like, three hundred dollars, five hundred. Like, is this my baby? Like, I feel like why? I'm. Co- if, if you if you take all the babies that I buy stuff for, like I'm collectively raising a child. That's what <laughs> yeah. I feel like. I raise a fraction of everybody's child. 
yeah, I'm just going to start a mutual fund. <laughs> I'm just going to start a mutual fund for babies and, uh, and, and have them, uh, and, and just, you know, they'll, they'll get a, they'll get their cut when they turn 18 or something like that. Cause it's, cause to, to me, it's like to get them a gift. I also hate the idea of buying something for someone that they're only going to use for a few years. Yeah. Now, granted, the first couple of years are crucial. Right. But I'm like, my money, I want my money going to diapers. See, but that's the good thing about at least my family. I know there's so many of us in my generation that if I get like my nephew a stroller, I know my sister, when she's done with that stroller, she's going to give it off to one of my cousins. If I get one of my cousins a uh, baby rocker, they're going to give it off to my sister or one of my other cousins. And that's the good thing about family. But friends, I don't know what you're going to do with that. If yeah. you don't want it when you're done with it, just give it back. Just give it back to me. I'm going to try to get my refund. I got it off of Amazon. They be letting you refund anything. Right. Or, you know, give it back so I can give it to somebody else. Like, right. allow me to keep right. it, you know, keep it. I'm probably like, going to keep it for like another 10 years when I have a kid. And then I'm going to be like, oh, no, I got, I got a stroller. We don't even need that. Then my ba- I'm doing you a service because my baby's list on the registry is going to be a lot shorter than everybody else's. Oh, oh, you, you got that planned? Well, I'm just going to take back all my other gifts to other people. Gotcha. And so I'm gotcha. going to have everything I need. Right, right, right. Hey, remember that stroller I gave you? Your, your right, kid's right. 18. <laughs> <laughs> your kid's in college. So just return it. Yeah. <laughs> you should be able to lease baby strollers. I'm sure it is. <laughs> I mean, because they're so big now. I, I, it's some in some neighborhoods, especially like in a wealthy neighborhood, it's hard to walk down the street because these moms got these huge SUV baby strollers mm. with the all-wheel drive wheels and stuff. Oh, and you I'm seen like, the triangle ones? Yeah, and like joggers with the yeah. with the one wheel in the front, two wheels in and the back. There's no room for nobody else. <laughs> and then they be in Whole Foods, and I'm like, man, come on, man. It's man, just it's you be looking at like a six-month-old baby, like get up, you could walk. Yeah, yeah. Damn, get the hell up. <laughs> My way. Oh, that's the worst, that man. Baby's lazy. When I see people pulling a kid, and I'm like, that kid <laughs> could walk, yo. And that kid taller than me. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, now going going back when you're like having trust issues early mm. on with your friends, with your family, but then later on being able to establish meaningful connections. Is that? How does that transfer over into relationships? Mm. So, and I ask this because I have trust issues. So yeah. I'm trying to figure out how you deal. <laughs> I'm trying to learn from you. So I'm not. I'm not a relationship dude. Okay. <laughs> That's. Um. I don't mean say I, I go on plenty of dates, right. you know, and I've dated around, but I've never found the woman who is like just my match. Who I'm just like I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a few months or a couple of years with you, which is kind of my vice too. Uh, especially because, you know, I work so much, you know, with with work and acting and whatnot. Um, I feel like, especially at this time of life, it's crucial for me to do that, and I haven't uh, I haven't spent the time on it. And um, the women that I do date, I'm so critical. I'm so critical. Uh, but maybe trust issues play a little bit into that. Maybe. Um, when I get a bad sign, I'm I'm always kind of copping out. Uh, but yeah, what was the last bad sign when you say was she digging? Oh, her nose? this is gonna sound mad petty though. All right, so she <laughs> she told me, and this was after like I don't know five or six days, and I feel bad about it to this day. But she, we were talking about movies, which obviously is important to me, and I was talking about the movie Baby Driver, 
and how great of a film I thought it was. She said she didn't like it, which is okay. Uh, and we talked about why she didn't like it. But then I asked her, you know, movies that she likes. And she told me she doesn't watch too many movies, but she loves shows like 90 Day Fiance and Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And this was after she just bashed a Baby. great right. movie, in my opinion. And then she said she watches 90 Day Fiance and Kim Kardashian, and that's... I was like, bruh. She, she got to go? She got to go. She got to go off of that. But also, I mean, I, I'm not giving it enough credit. Also, she was she was a lot younger than me. I'm 28. She was 21. She was still kind of in that just graduating uh, college phase. Oh, yeah. She wasn't um, mentally in the mental space that she needed to be. She wasn't, um, this is what I'm going to do with my life. This is where I want to go. Mm. Um, and me... Obviously, I'm a very I'm a very decisive person, yeah. and I and I like to have plans laid out, and so I don't think that would have worked out based on that alone. You know that that's interesting. A couple of things. Uh, one, I used to feel the same way about people who watch reality shows. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you watching what? No, nah, we can't. No, nah, I gotta I gotta lose your number. Um, <laughs> but then I I realized I was uh, my one of my ex girlfriends. She loved reality shows, and it shocked me because I didn't find out I didn't find this out till later on. Mm -hmm. But it's because uh, she's an ER nurse, mm -hmm. and to be an ER nurse requires so much engagement, attention, mm -hmm. focus. You know, like you're it's in, it's intense. The last thing you want to do is come home and watch something. That is serious. That requires you to think. You don't. You don't want no subtitles. You don't <laughs> want no. You know. You're not looking for anything uh, artistic. You want the lowest common denominator in terms of uh, of uh, entertainment. And so that's why. And so when I once I understood that, I was like, that makes sense. You know what? I gotta call my sister and apologize to her. <laughs> She's, she's an ER nurse, and she watches a, a ton of just crappy yeah. um, reality shows, and I always give her heat about yeah. it, always. I mean, they're watching people die almost mm. every day. They're saving Damn, lives. Damn, they got dark. Yeah, yeah. but for real, it's real life. Yeah. And then you go, oh, I get it now. That's why, like, you know, um, e even athletes, but especially uh, people in the military, mm -hmm. like, that's why, like, their their, their humor is, like, so like slapstick and fart and you know they cur it's like because you're just they're watching you know the worst of humanity right and so they gotta like you know they it can't be any filter that's that's right? important for me to know as an actor and it's also important for you to know as a stand-up comedian so that's a good lesson that's a good lesson yeah you know and and uh and even though like and you know you're 28 uh i'm 43 so at 28, I would have made the same decision you made. Like, you watching what? Like, no, nah, we can't. You know? Well, it wasn't even just the fact that she watches it. It's, it's mm -hmm. the fact that she told me she's, she's raving about them right after she got done telling me that a great artistic film was trash. Now, I will say this. Baby Driver, <laughs> I, I, would, I would never call a great movie. I would okay, say it's good. And, but only thing, the only reason why, um, isn't, uh, to me, it wasn't mm -hmm. great is the lead guy, the kid. You didn't I, like him? I felt like he didn't have enough uh, swag. I felt mm, like okay. he was acting like he had swag. 
Right. But like like uh like Shia LaBeouf, Shia would have murdered that True. role. I could see that. And I so when it. you think about like Shia has, and then like when you find out about him off screen, you go, yeah, the dude is a little off. <laughs> like, you know, he's he's got he's got he's got a you know cojones. Uh, we're like this dude just. He felt too clean, you know. Like right, it felt, right. I felt like he he studied Shia and all the other cool guys, and then tried to channel it. See, that's a good uh, that's a good outlook on it, an assessment of it. But um, how I saw it and why that didn't bother me is I always looked at it like from the moment I saw him, I was like, oh, this is the nerdy shy kid in school who you would never think does something mm. like this, and so it made him that much mm. more interesting to me because I'm like. How do you <laughs> end up in a job where you're driving around, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. hitmen and whatnot? Yeah. Right? Um, so what are you looking for then? And you said you're very picky. You didn't mm. want you didn't want a girl who uh, watches uh, reality shows, but you mm. also want a girl. Now, do you want a girl who's decisive? And the reason why I ask mm. is this. I know why you asked, yeah. Okay, all right, go ahead. Because <laughs> uh, you're asking probably because there's some girls who like to make decisions on your behalf. Uh, you know, and and try, but also Here's think yin yang. Like, like right. I, I, I'm very indecisive. Right. I, I'll admit that uh, on the on the details. Like, I don't care about details. Right. I think big picture. So, like, I like to date women who focus on the details mm. and aren't really thinking big. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I that juxtaposition. So, I want a woman who can deal with all the crazy things that I'm trying to handle at once and trying to pursue at once, right? And so with me, I'm just very, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, decisive and I'm a go-getter because of, I have a, I just have a bunch of stuff that I want to do and that I want to get through um, and a lot of goals for myself in life. So I can't really be with a girl who's not the same way about whatever she is, she's, it is she's passionate about um, or if she needs help trying to determine that, that's okay too, but I just want someone who knows that she's looking for it or she's actively trying to search for it. Because what will happen then is with me, if I'm, you know, here behind my computer for several hours of the day, then I'm gone for three hours in traffic because I have an audition and then I have to fly back home to New York to see my family real quick. It wouldn't be fair to her and her position if I'm not around or if I'm constantly, ch she's going to feel neglected. Right. And, and she can't feel that way. So... I would need somebody who is also going to be on that same wavelength on that same path because she would understand me and I would understand her. Or if it's a girl who maybe she's not on that same wavelength and she's understanding and accept, accepting of this lifestyle, lifestyle then right. that, that would be cool too. But I think for the most part, it's probably going to gonna be the best match if she is that kind of go-getter, you know, or if she likes helping me, you know, and says, hey, you know, I saw this. You know, figured I'd tell you about it. What can we do about X, Y, Z? Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I get that. I found I found that the uh, the best relationships I've had are with women who are um, equally as passionate about what they're pursuing, so that they under, then they understand my passion about what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like, hell yeah, go get that. You know, pursue that. Right. Blah blah blah. But you also, at the same time, want to feel like you're both making an effort to connect, to, yeah. to be with each other and uh, to have that flexibility. And, um, you know, 
sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But you, you at least want to feel like we both value the relationship right. as much as we value uh, right. what we're pursuing in our work. You know, and being 28, yeah, you're just, um, your, your margins are slim. I, know, I, like I don't know if this window. is real, What's but that? I heard this. I heard that most divorces with actors happen because um, of the actor and the relationship never being around. Well, you know what? I, I, I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I think the bigger part of it is that if you get married to uh, an actor um, and there hasn't been enough uh, foundation laid. Like you, you guys didn't date long enough. You right. weren't friends. You weren't friends first, yeah. right? Then I think that's. I think uh, a lot of actors and entertainers they get married really quickly. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. And so if you have a, a foundation of friendship, a foundation of of connection, of of really uh, going through it before you get married, I think sure. that increases your chances. One. I think, too, the other thing is a lot of people, I think um, the, the labeling of us as being adults, I think that oh, hurts yeah. relationships. And what I mean is I assume that because I'm an adult and you're an adult, you know what you're doing at all times and you know how to do it. You should know how to communicate. You should know mm-hmm. how I feel, you know, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. But like you said, you grew up. Uh, in a household that uh, was rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you witnessed uh, probably uh, poor communication patterns, right. I would assume, right? Right. Um, and then you become an adult. And if nobody's corrected what you've learned, right, mm-hmm. you're going to bring those communication patterns into your relationship. True. Right? Um, and if you're not aware that what you've learned is incorrect, it's like if you go to school and your teacher goes, you know, two plus two is eight. Well, if you don't know what addition is, uh, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be walking around saying it's eight. You see what I'm saying? Right. right and right. so we become adults with these these lessons that we've learned, but they were incorrect lessons. And then we assume everybody else has learned the same thing. Right. And then we go, why why don't you why don't you get what I'm yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Why is it so hard to understand? And, and and so I think the first step is like being aware of. Uh, what you need to unlearn and and and, and sure. things like that. That's deep. And then if she's aware, then you both can then grow. But if you're both walking around with, like, I'm right blame, about this. Topic I'm right all about the time. this. Absolutely. Then there's going to be no growth. And I think that's what happens. And it's not so much about actors getting a divorce. Is it's like, why do most people get a divorce? Why do most people break up? Is because at the foundation of a relationship. People want to be seen, heard, validated. Mm-hmm. Most people do not know how to listen to <laughs> the other person right. or make the other person feel heard. That was, you know, at 43, I'm, I just learning this a few years ago. Like, I, I had no idea that every argument I was getting into with my girlfriend mm-hmm. was uh, me instead of listening and trying to feel what she's going through, I was just trying, trying to fix to get it. Her to feel exactly how you felt. Well, no, I was just trying to fix it. Like, she'd be upset about, like, her work or, or yeah. whatever. And I'm like, why don't you just do this? Oh, no. Yeah. You can't do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, well, why not just, you know, why don't you quit? Or why don't you get another job? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I come from a fix it. Like, I'm, right. I'm all about, what's the solution? Let's fix this thing. 
she don't she ain't in a space to be fixing nothing. Right now she mad and she mad. She, she, she just, just wants you yeah. listen to what her day was like just That's so she can it. get it off her chest. That's it. She's not gonna quit. Nah. She, nah. She don't hate it that much yeah, to quit, yeah. but she hated today enough to tell you about today. So <laughs> you know, and and most most people and most couples don't understand that. They they right. they, they, they they trying to win. You know, like, oh yeah, I was right, and and that just blows up. But you would think as actors, especially really good ones, they would know how to listen. Right. That's what that's acting what, that's is. That's exactly what it is. That's, that's what exactly acting what is. is. That's what improv class is. Mm-hmm. Yes, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean. But we don't transfer those those skills over to the um, to people who are not actors. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Yeah. So at 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 you know at. And I only learned this through couples therapy. That's why I asked if you had been to therapy, if you had, right. um, if you had talked about it. You have, you do have a new film uh, that you are pushing out, yes, right? Yes, it's it's called Empty Handed. Empty Handed, and um, this is you produced it. Yes, I produced it. Directed. I wrote it. Okay. Um, I co-directed it. Yeah. Um, I did it with uh, a bunch of friends of mine who I had met through the Arizona film community when I was over there. Um, it was hard as hell. So I have so much respect for the people on the flip side of production because as an actor, as hard as I think and know that my job is, um, until I did the pr- production of that, I never really fully understood what goes into putting together a film set and, and getting something shot. Um, but it was rough. It was rough. And it took a couple years even. Uh, I started it last year, and then I just reshot a, uh, re-shot a scene this year uh, to, to finally finish it. And it was tough. It was hard. Now, when you say tough, hard, or like, were you crying? Were, it, were those, <laughs> those moments? Were you balled up in the shower? Um, no, I wasn't balled up in the shower. But there were, I will say this. Part of the reason why I reshot the, um, the scene that we reshot last month, or in February, I should say, part of the reason we reshot that was because... I watched over the footage from the original shoot and there was a bunch of stuff going wrong that day on set and I was acting it, right? So on my face, you could tell that I was not having a good day. Like I was shut down completely by how bad things were going. Um, and that's how stressful it was that I kind of got taken out of being the actor part and, uh, and, I, and I shut down personally and it showed on camera, which is something I never do, but... Um, it, it was it was stressful trying to coordinate that many people, trying to worry about nothing ever goes right, right. So if something's supposed to be on set at X time so that everything can run in order and that you know you can get the shots that you need by the time it gets dark out and you won't have the lighting, um, yeah. If one thing goes wrong somebody's always got to fix it. And it's not always easy to fix. Sometimes it's impossible. And that compromises the whole shoot. And it, it was very difficult. But we got it done. That's what matters. We got it done. And that's a powerful statement because, uh, uh, you know, er, you know, there's so many people make plans mm-hmm. and they get upset when things don't go according to plan. Right. And you recognize that when you're working with a team of people and you're working with nature, like you said, you right. got to beat sunlight and things like that, uh, rarely do things go according to plan. Right. So you have to be flexible and adaptive, right? right. Uh, and and know how to communicate with everybody about, we need to speed this up. We're going to do three takes, but now we're going to you know, reduce right. it down to two. We're just going to shoot this angle, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and that's the best way to get through. It's about getting it done versus mm-hmm. crying over 
you know, the small thing that that right. we, we can't control. Right. Um, I learned a I learned a big life lesson from that too because the first time around I was getting stressed out about everything that went wrong, and just from having to the fact that I had to reshoot it mm-hmm. uh, and doing it a second time around and knowing that of course something was going to go wrong, um, when something did go wrong, it helped me channel out all the negative energy and keep it away from me because I remember what happened last time when I let that affect me. Uh, so the second time around, I was like, "All right, this went wrong. We're gonna figure it out." We're gonna keep rolling. We're gonna we're gonna do what we do and fix it real quick, and then we'll be good to go. You, you said um, remembering or expecting things to go wrong. Yes. Right. Yes. That is that's powerful. It's right. Gonna happen. We always it's expect things to go right. Like everything has. <laughs> we're just like if people just run around. Everything has to go perfect. Everything, especially like you talking about going to a wedding next week. Like yeah, it, you know everybody's like everything. Weather has to be blah blah Ooh. blah blah blah. They told me it's an outside wedding. Oh uh, no, nah. it's, it's, it's in Florida. It's, in Florida, I looked it up. 90, <laughs> 92 degrees was the high. Got a full suit. They they playing games. I'm about to show up in a t-shirt and swim trunks. It, was there anything else besides expecting things to go wrong? <laughs> Were there, mm. Was there anything else you learned? Because you had to coordinate and talk to a lot of different people. Yeah. You're the head honcho, CEO. People right. are looking at you. What was, in terms of dealing with people, Yeah. what, what did you learn? Um, so I learned, I had to learn to put my boss shoes on. Because I'm a, I'm a very... Um, considerate person I like to think and I try to make things easier and help everyone out and try to be understanding this second time around because there was so much on the line um, being that I was paying for another another shoot uh, that I had already done once before and this was right after I moved to California so it was even you know more you know upsetting uh, but there were things going on that I was trying to prevent. I'll, I'll just say it. So my uh, one of my actresses got uh, an infection uh, in her eye, and it was two days before the shoot. Uh, and we were hoping that it would go down, and I was trying to work around it. I'm like, we'll just we'll give her an Aaliyah bang and just cover <laughs> cover her eye. You know, she'll look like one in a million. Um, and uh, and we try to work around that, but then it, it just kept getting worse. And then there were other things and issues with whether or not she was going to be able to rehearse, which is something that was really important to me. Um, but I didn't want to recast her at first because she had put in so much time in the project already. Um, but when I was talking to a couple of my other um, my other crew members about it, they kind of just told me and hinted, well, uh, you're the producer. You kind of got to do what you got to do because... Do you really want it to not turn out the way you wanted this time? Um, and that that was one of the fires I had to put out the second time around. I had to find a last minute actress, um, hit up a uh, talent agency at the last minute saying, I'm doing a shoot like tomorrow and I need you to send me a couple of resumes for a couple of actors and, you know, so I can pick one. Um, yeah, and then dealing with an actress that didn't have her scripts until the night before, you know, um, making her feel comfortable and letting her know, hey, I know your lines aren't going to be perfect. Do not stress about them. I just want you to be natural and be real um, when you deliver them. Don't worry about all that little stuff because today's going to be a fun day. Um, you know, so that that's one of the the fires I definitely had to put out, and I and I learned through that experience that yeah, sometimes you want to be nice, and sometimes you don't want to, you know, be that guy who required X amount of time from somebody, but now they're not even part of it anymore. But 
at least now you have the result that you wanted. And that's all that matters because at the end of the day, you're the one who spent the money on it. So, right. It goes back so, to personal yeah. responsibility. Right. 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 What, what's the uh, what's the message you're trying to get out through your art? You know, uh, is it different through your acting than through mm-hmm. the directing, or is there a, a, a motive? Is there like I got to tell the this is the story I'm really trying to tell? That's a good question too. So I was inspired um, to write this. I, I've never cared or wanted to be a producer or a director or any of that or a writer. Uh, but I was inspired to write this story because I lived at the time in Tucson, and all of my acting gigs, you know, my classes were all in Phoenix, Arizona. And I was driving back home one night, and it was late at night. It's a two-hour drive through the desert. And I was playing, at that time, it was a new song by Jadena. And the opening of that song, and it was just a monologue. And it had music in the background, just like a little do-do-do-do-do. And I'm going to stop there so, I, so we don't get copyrighted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just the piano keys and the monologue and what we were saying, it touched me. And I don't know why. It just, it just kind of like Sherlock Holmes. The, the, it just started flashing images of my head of what that would look like in movie form. And I went home, and that night I, I typed up the whole draft. spent hours just typing up the first draft right there and then, or right then and there. Uh, and because I was motivated by that and I sent it off to a few people, they said, hey, are you actually trying to produce this? Because we really like the script. It's really good. Um, and the message that I got from that script was specifically around um, just just humanization of people who are different from you um, and understanding that we are all connected in some way, whether obvious or not. And it was just a it was just a really really warm touching piece for me, and um, it is it is a powerful message. And again, I'm not gonna go into the whole plot because then I'll give it away. But uh, that was that was the message. And if you know Jadena's music, then you probably would have an idea, anyways, of of where that goes along. Um, it, it is. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were talking about, you know, sometimes you'll see somebody who's obese, and you'll just be like. Why don't you just lose weight? Why are you eating so much? But, um, but having no idea, they might have some type of medical issue, um, and then also an injury, mm-hmm. um, and then also uh, a lot of obese people have a history of sexual abuse. So they put the weight on as a protective armor mm-hmm. against sexual like. And, and so, like, to me, that's why Oprah has never really been able to keep the weight off. Because on a subconscious level, mm-hmm. uh, it makes her feel uh, vulnerable. That's just my right, right. take on it. But uh, for a lot of people who struggle with the weight loss, uh, that's a part of it. it it's, uh, they, you know. They, they want their physical bodies to reject the rapist. Right, the rapist right. Goes. Because, uh, you know, some people, that's why, like, you'll see, uh, uh Sometimes you see like a you know big girls you go man she has a beautiful face but like if she just lost the weight but she probably gets too much attention if she, with her beautiful face and then she has a, a great body mm-hmm. not everybody wants a million followers not everybody wants all those likes on their foot you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying uh, even for me I you know when I was in really great shape I hated the attention 
I I mean, it it, it seems like um, uh, such a first world problem or right. weird problem to have, but there there is an objectification that comes with yeah. if you uh, are in great shape, you're tall, you're good looking. I mean, people think they just grab on your muscles or you know or show you off or you know. Right. Uh, and so I can understand for someone uh, who has been objectified to the worst degree to then to keep experiencing that. So then they just put on a weight and they go, I don't, you know, it's just a way of avoiding any of that attention. Right. So it goes back into your like the humanizing of people of like when you look at someone and instead of judging them, mm -hmm. get their story. Everybody has a story, and when you know their story, you'll be like, I understand now. It's just like right. in the beginning, you're talking about when you're judging an old girl about watching the Kardashians, right? And then you go, I, I never thought about what you do all day, right? You know, what you see all day. Yeah, I would want to like veg out too, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's a it's it's a powerful thing, and um, it, but I would imagine like as a kid, that's how you felt like. You're like, yeah, I got a different accent. I'm a big kid. But, like, hey, I like 90% of the same things you like. The music, the TV shows, things like that. And it's like your way of, at least my perception is, yeah. through the movies now is your way of giving the other kids in the neighborhood who are, who are <laughs> fat, that's who beautiful. are outsiders, <laughs> a voice, right? Right, right. right. You know, uh, that's just me, you know, uh, connecting dots, and, and, and I could be way off. You'd be like, nah, I'm just, I, it, 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 it's, a, it's a trend. Uh, I thought I could make a, a million dollars. That's where all the, <laughs> I ran an analysis, and. No, no. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny that you use the example of obesity, because I always used to say, you know, when I was a teenager and I had friends who would make fun of, you know, big people mm -hmm. or um, who would make comments about it even, you know, or say, oh, you know, why don't they just lose the weight? They're lazy, X, Y, Z. Um, I always felt like comments like that were hypocritical because everybody knows someone who's overweight or who's obese. Everyone does. Right. And nine times out of ten, you know at least one of them who you love to death. And you don't look at them every day and think, why are you so big? You're lazy. You know, you just don't want to get up off the couch. So why do you look at strangers and think that? Right, right. You know, right. it's because you don't care about them. You don't care about their story. So it's a little easier to judge them. Um, and it's, it's, it ties back with what you were saying. Um, it's unfortunate that we as, as a human people tend to do that. Um, but it's the reality of things. And it's, it's my, my film is a way for me to force the audience to, hear the story first before they see the result. Because a lot of people just like to look at the result and then come up with a story, and the story is typically, um, it typically doesn't give the amount of credit to the person they're looking at um, that they deserve. Yeah, I, I personally believe more people would be in relationships and married if uh, they never saw the person they were talking to first. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, if it was just through pure conversation, mm -hmm. text messaging, 
back and forth. Now, of course, there is also the physical element, like their pheromones, scent. Like I've met beautiful women, but the perfume that they, like they just the old, <laughs> my old factory scents are like, nah, we can't we can't get up in that. Like, <laughs> you know, some some women just smell old. You know, she, she smells young. It's just something some senses. You're like, nah, we just nah, it's not gonna work right there. It's like it was very nice to meet you, yeah, Annabelle, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or she got old taste. You ever go to a girl's place and you like, whoa, whoa, whoa this old Victorian? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that a chandelier? Yeah. Who has a chandelier? <laughs> this is an apartment. Why do you have a crystal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, I can't, I can't vibe with this at all. You got a clock on the wall? No, no, no. Grandfather clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What, uh, so you were, it, it, now what's your sister do? Is she into movies and, and all that too? Or uh, she's a nurse. I don't think she's as into movies as I am, but she does watch a lot of movies, I guess. She watches a lot of movies and watches a lot of TV shows, but um, she's a nurse. Um, I'm sorry, Melissa. I don't, <laughs> like, uh, she, she doesn't have any, um, like any hobby or anything that she's really into or passionate about outside of. I don't, nursing. I find that a lot of nurses are like that. I mean, they, you know, they. Not they that nurse. she would have time for it. They work right, twelve-hour exactly. days. They work crazy hours. Yeah. I mean, actually, the nurses I know, they, they, uh, they exercise. They get outdoors. They hike mm-hmm. a lot. They're they're physical like that. But uh, in terms of extra extra hobbies, um, they they don't really have a space for it. She used to do CrossFit. She oh, used to word. like that, like yeah. beginner level yeah, CrossFit. Yeah, 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 but then yeah. she had kids, and then she's like, nah. <laughs> Uh, my nephews keep her busy, um, and my brother-in-law he does something in the something about like state health care or something uh. like that, like a manager of some sort. He explains it to me, but I always just pretend that I understand, and that'll normally get him to stop explaining it to me. Um, <laughs> what are you reading right now? Are you reading anything? Oh yes. Yeah. So lately, I've been trying to read because right now I'm not training yet. Um, it's probably not going to start till July or August before I start auditing classes and trying to find a, another studio that I want to train with and that I like. Um, so right now, to keep my mind active and yes, try to keep right. things going on, um, I've been reading a lot of plays okay. um, as well as acting books written by acting coaches. So right now, I'm, wa- or I'm watching. I'm reading The Intent to Live. The Intent by, to Live. By Larry Moss. That's a strong it's actually, title. It's right behind you, actually. It's that book... Sitting there on the thing with uh, tabs. Oh, out yeah, of it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Achieving your true potential as an actor. Dope what? book. How Dope so? Book. What, what's, a, what's a takeaway? What's a general takeaway or takeaways that you've gotten from this? This book explains acting. So uh, I've been training for the past few years, um, and it explains those concepts so well uh, and in layman's terms so that the average person can understand it. But then it goes into more details about specific things like creating your character, um, about what your objective is and what the difference is between your super objective, your objective, your intention in every scene, that those things can always fluctuate and change. Um, the relationship between characters and building up that foundation gives you exercise. It's, it's so good. I never notate or highlight books because I feel like you're kind of messing it up if you do that. But this book, it's I've got highlights all through it, got sticky notes all over there because uh, the content is so uh, so good. You know, so I'm, I'm flipping through the book right now, and it says 
quote, don't ever judge or underestimate or dismiss a mm-hmm. character you play because at first reading, the character's concerns seem unworthy to you or can't immediately relate to them. Respect the character's life experience and find a way to identify with their plight. Every character deserves as much respect as you do. Don't cheat them by judging them. And <laughs> un, end quote. And I, I read that because we were just talking about judging people, mm-hmm. right? And also I think it's powerful because, like the book said, uh, no character is too small, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the same, t- same, same uh, thing is in life, nobody's story is too small. A lot of people are walking around thinking that their story is unworthy to be told, um, that their life is too small because mm-hmm. they come from a small town and a small family. They really haven't done much. But there's something fascinating and rich in, like there, there are a million movies about people growing up in small towns. So there's clearly something rich there and valuable there yeah. uh, in your story. Um, and so, yeah, that's powerful to me. It's like, no, no, you know, that, that person on a, on a corner, my friend, she uh, just bought uh, a person living on the streets uh, a home. It is like origami homes. And uh, and then, you know, a few days later, find out that he went and, tur- and sold it to somebody else. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, it's like, I want my stroller back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But but that but you know it was it was a fun story between me and her. But he was he's a part of that story. He's a part of why I'm you know we're laughing now right. because of what he did. So it's like you know so many people are walking around thinking that nobody's thinking about them or laughing about them. <laughs> but funny. somebody is saying something about you, good and or bad. Uh, and so don't feel like your story is too small. What besides the um, acting books mm-hmm. and uh, is, are you reading anything else? Just the acting books right okay. now. Um, I want to, I don't want to take this time that I'm not training um, and let it go to waste. Wow. And personally, if I don't act or if I don't train, um, I, I kind of I go crazy. I start itching and I, I start getting a little bit uh, unhappy. Uh, so, and when I say unhappy, I mean, you know, feel, I feel like I'm not, doing something that my brain wants to do. Um, And this is how I kind of keep my foot in the door in this period where I'm not actively training. This is how I keep my mind exercised so that, you know, um, I don't start going crazy. (laughs) Have you had those moments where you went crazy? Like, what does that look like? Like when you go, oh, I'm spiraling out. Like, Uh, So when I was in Arizona, there was, I took a... uh, probably this time last year even, I took a break from my acting courses um, for about like three months or something like that, three, four months. And I would still go in every month to, to see the other students do their showcases and watch them perform. And I would always in my mind be like, man, I need to be doing something. I need to be reading you know, a scene and, and studying. And um, when I went and watched them, I'd get so motivated, like, oh God, I'm imagining myself in those scenes with them playing X character. And, and those times were like the times where I itched the most. Um, it, it, anytime I take a step away from it, it kind of hurts. But uh, mentally, it is kind of a drag if I don't have that going on. When I was in Boston, 
uh, I signed up for my first acting class as an adult, uh, probably the month before I was moving out to Arizona. And I remember when I first left that class, it was late at night. It was a Tuesday night. I had probably worked like, I don't know, 12 hours that day uh, at my job before going to class. And I left and I started walking to the train station and I was just like, this, this feels right. This feels like whatever happy is, this feels like it. Wow. And I hadn't felt that way since, since I was a kid. It was kind of like, like a youthful, you know, joy that I had. And, and I was like, man, why didn't I do this sooner? Why did I wait till I'm about to leave um, to do it? And so from that point on, I told myself, I'm never going to give myself the opportunity to feel like I wasted time without getting that kind of joy um, fired up in me uh, again. So, yeah, that's that's a powerful uh, statement right there. It's good that you you found that thing that that gives you joy and uh, happiness. Um, last question, you know, this the podcast is called "Before You Kill Yourself," mm-hmm. and uh, I always feel like there's somebody listening who may be on the verge of uh, completing suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say to them? Before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person? And, and, and we understand that you're not a therapist. Yeah. You're not, yeah. You're not on the hook for this. Think about all the things that you're going to do. And when I say that, I don't mean that to say, you know, the re- I, I, I was careful with my words and I didn't say think about all the things you could do. Think about all the things that you are going to do. Because if you killed yourself, you wouldn't do anything. But if you don't kill yourself, you are absolutely bound to do something. Now, what that something is is still up to you. It's still up to time. It's still up to energy and motivation. But you are absolutely going to do something so long as you're still breathing on this earth. So think about what those things are and how many of those things are positive experiences. Think about how many of those things are going to be great memories that you can take on with you forever. I sat here talking about my entire life and you know the highs and the lows and the moments that made me smile and made me feel joyous. I wouldn't have had those if I didn't think to myself, what am I going to do? You know, things always seem worse before they get better, always. Yo, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Think about what you're going to do, right? Uh, the, the future and uh, those next steps. And uh, I forget what my, my buddy, it's like you can't, you know, if you're not here, then then nothing nothing right. happens, right? There's, you know, you're not even giving it uh, a choice, an opportunity for something to happen. Thank you, uh, Bradley. Where can they find you? Oh, find me on uh, Instagram. It's uh, Bradley.Bedford on Instagram. Um, Just add me on there. I'll be posting updates with what's going on on Empty Handed and any other projects I work on. So fantastic, fantastic. And and once again, this podcast is not a replacement for you getting uh, help for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE number or going to a therapist or join a group. Get a group. It doesn't have to be... It could be any type of group. It could be uh, Dungeons and Dragons group. But something where you are not isolating yourself and not and, and not separating yourself uh, from the masses, from the people. Uh, uh, you're putting yourself in, in 
uh, and positions where you have the opportunity to connect, right? Um, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for rating it. Thank you for sharing the podcast. And thank you for the continued feedback I, I, I get on um, Instagram. I get a lot of messages from you, the messages you guys send on iTunes. Uh, that, that keeps me going. It's a big thank you. Uh, and have a story-worthy week. Oh, wait, before you stop, I, I yeah. want to thank you, Leo, uh, for having me on this podcast. Like I told you, I was like... The podcast is over, Bradley. Oh, it's, it's over? Oh, no, I'm damn. joking. <laughs> no, see, I never did a podcast, but I was like, I was real excited to do this one um, because, you know, I don't even like the sound of my own voice, but something, there's something therapeutic that like lets me sleep at night knowing that I can force other people to listen to it. You know what I mean? So I appreciate you having me on and taking your time to come out here to DTLA. To, to speak with me. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, because downtown LA is way on the other side <laughs> of LA. I'm, I'm, I'm by the beach, and his brother's way over here up in, in the middle of everything. I tried to get a place by the beach. I couldn't afford it. Yeah, I can't afford it either. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be I'm gonna be downtown LA pretty soon. Right? I'm going to have to go find where where, the, who, where who, sold, who he sold that tent to. <laughs> get up in there. Uh, Bradley, thank you for being on. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we will talk soon.